That's some powerful stuff, isn't it? All right, so here's what we're going to do here today. What we are going to do, for those of you who are, um, you know, kind of new to the Coptic Church and don't really, um, haven't been through what we're, what, this time of year before, next week begins the most important week of the entire year in the Coptic Church, which is Holy Week. All right, and for some of you who are just walking in off the street today, say, hey, wait a minute, Easter was like a few weeks ago. We're a little bit, uh, you know what I mean, like we're a little bit behind. Okay, it's okay. We also, in the Coptic Church, we celebrate Christmas in January, all right, and our New Year's in September. So we're just a little bit, uh, you can look at it as we're a few weeks behind or 11 and a half months ahead of time. So it's up to you. Holy Week is the most important week of the entire year. And because of that, it is worthy that we spend one Sunday together kind of discussing what it is that's going to take place in the church next week. Because a lot of stuff is going to happen. And what I discovered is that a lot of us kind of know some of the major things that happen, but don't really understand how it all connects and what's like, what, what's going on and why is it such a big deal. So what I want to do today is kind of give an, over, an overview of what happens in Holy Week. And I want to tell you this overview from two perspectives because I've experienced them both. For many years, I was on the perspective of the I hate Holy Week side, which is the, oh, here comes Holy Week. My parents are going to make me go to church on Friday and on Saturday. Oh, oh, oh here comes Holy Week. And now I have to finish school. And then after school, I got to finish my homework real quick. And I got to go to church. And I got to come back. And it's boring. And it's hot. And it's crowded. And people smell and all that kind of stuff. And I've been on that side, and I lived the majority of my life on that side. But I've also been on the side of Holy Week is the greatest thing ever. And I wouldn't want to miss one second of Holy Week. And I wouldn't want to miss one second of one church service. I don't want to work during Holy Week. I want to take off. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to think about anything. I just want to focus because Holy Week is that powerful and is that amazing. I've been on both sides of the coin. So because of that, I can speak to you no matter which side it is that you might be on. Let me ask you a simple question. That's back. Let me ask you a simple question. Here I was, okay, I hated Holy Week, dreaded it, tried to fake a sickness every year so I could avoid, especially Good Friday, okay? And now, here I am now, over here on this side. What changed? What changed? Did the readings change? Did the rituals change? Did the temperature change? This year, it's actually going to be in May, so it's going to be even hotter. What changed? Why is it that so many of us are on this side? We think that we're on this side because, well, if it was shorter, or if it was less crowded, or if there was a parking spot for me. What changed from here to here? What changed? What changed? Did the church change? Did the readings change? Did anything change? One thing changed. What changed? My attitude changed. Anytime there's something that you don't benefit from is because your attitude like you didn't want to benefit from it. So my attitude was the problem. It wasn't that it was too long, too boring, or I was too busy. Because I still long, it still, you know, could be perceived as boring, and I'm definitely just as busy. But my attitude towards it changed. Okay, now the next question, logically. Why is it that I had the wrong attitude? What is it that changed my attitude? That all of a sudden, I had nothing to do in life on a Friday except spending church from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m.? All of a sudden, I enjoy the crowds. All of a sudden, I enjoy, I say, sitting is boring, standing is more fun. What changed my attitude? What caused me to change my attitude? 
What causes you to change your attitude about anything? It's when you understand the value. If I knew the value of something, what I determine the value to be determines my attitude. For example, I'll give you an easy example. And maybe some of you, forgive me if I offend some people. Black Friday, the dumbest day in the history of all mankind, as far as I'm concerned. Where, forgive me, idiots wait outside from the night before, from 11 p.m. in the freezing cold and in the freezing rain, okay, so they can get a good deal on something or other. To me, I see zero value in that. So to me, my attitude towards that is, that's dumb. And anyone who does it must be dumb. Sorry. Now, if you told me that what's inside there is not a deal on a TV, but it's something that I value, like, for example, skins tickets, free oil changes for life, something I always value. I always say the greatest gift you can ever get me is free oil changes, because that's something practical, okay? Or, you know, something I value, maybe a chance to meet a celebrity like Homer Simpson or something like that, okay? If you gave me something like that, my attitude would be much different, because I value those things. If I told you, and of course this is not true, but if I told you that at the end of Holy Week, we're going to bring that little scanning machine, and whoever has perfect attendance will receive $1 million. Right there, on the spot. Easter Sunday, here's a check, certified check, $1 million for perfect attendance. Every single person would be there. Is there anyone that would skip? No, because you value a million dollars. Well, here is the question that I have for you today. And this is my goal to convince you this by the end. What's the value of Holy Week? It is more than a million dollars. It's much less than a million dollars in a physical sense, but its value is infinite and is eternal. And I mean every one of those words. A million dollars is very valuable, but it is not infinite, it is finite. And it is not eternal, it will go when you go. Grabbing a check for a million dollars, getting hit by a bus in the middle of the street, it's gone. But what you gain during Holy Week, if you get hit by a bus in the middle of the street, will last forever. It's my goal today not to convince you that standing up for many hours is fun. It's not my goal to convince you that you've got nothing better to do next week and spend all day and all night in church. That's not my goal. My goal is to convince you that there's something very powerful here, something very valuable here, and something infinitely and eternally valuable. And if I can show you the value of this, then I don't need to tell you, make sure you come on time and make sure you fast before you come. I don't need to tell you any of that stuff because you will want to do it when you see the value inside. Problem for most of us, problem for me as a kid, problem for many of us today, is we don't see the value. We just think that the goal is just to torture ourselves and go through the motions. And if you think it's just about going through the motions, then absolutely, Holy Week is the most miserable time of year. It is the most miserable time. If that's all it is, you just have to go through the motions and check off on the box that you attended. But I think that there's much more. And I pose this to you, that there is much more. And just because you don't see the value doesn't mean that the value isn't there. Just because you see it, that it doesn't have value, doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. It just means that you haven't necessarily seen it yet. So what I ask you is open your mind and let's go through some high level of what Holy Week is all about and see if you see a, a change in the value. Okay, so the word that you will hear throughout Holy Week repeated over and over and over, there's another word for Holy Week. Like the official term is not Holy Week. It's kind of a term that we, like an Americanized term. But the official term, the church term, is Pascha week. Okay? Pascha week. Or if you're Egyptian and strong Egyptian, it's Boscha. Okay? Okay? But it's Pascha week. What's Pascha mean? 
most of the time people think Pascha week means Passion Week, right? And that's, I, I don't know whoever made the term Passion Week. I think they did a disservice to us because they changed, actually they changed, it's, it's actually the exact opposite of Passion. When we say Passion Week, we talk about sufferings. And there's a lot of sufferings that happens, but the goal of the week isn't suffering, okay? It's actually the exact opposite. You know what Pascha means? Someone whispered it over there. Pascha means Passover. It literally means Passover. We are not here to celebrate passion and suffering. That's a means to an end. But the end is the Passover. What's the Passover? Y'all know what the Feast of Pascha is? What's the Feast of Pascha? Pascha is a feast. Julie in the back. What day is the Feast of Pascha in the Orthodox? And other Orthodox churches use the term correctly. What day? Not Thursday. Sunday. Easter Sunday. I hate the word Easter. This is the last time I say the word Easter right now. I only say it because of people. Easter is a bad word. Easter is actually a pagan word. It's not, it's not a Christian word. Easter is talking about a pagan celebration for a pagan god. And then it's just the same time, so we just kind of connect it. But don't say Easter because Easter is a bunny and like it means nothing. We celebrate the Feast of Resurrection or the Feast of Pascha. Pascha is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and that's the feast. So all week, Pascha week is all about resurrection. It's not about passion, and it's not about suffering. It's about new life. What was the Passover for the Israelites? It's, it's what, we, what happened with the Israelites in the Passover with the Red Sea is exactly the steps the church takes us through during the Pascha week. If you remember... During the first Passover, when Moses and the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt, Passover for them was what? Freedom. Passover was new life. Passover, before Passover, was slavery and depression and misery and Egypt. After Passover was new life, was parting of seas, was freedom. And that's what it's supposed to be first. It's a, it's a celebration of victory. And I want to call this week... Not Passion Week, we'll call it Victory Week. Because it's the week that we celebrate victory. But, as with the original Passover, if something as great as God saying, I'm going to part the Red Sea, and I'm going to free you from slavery, there has to be some preparation. You don't just show up. You don't just wake up, stretch out your arms, and end up in the Promised Land. The same way it was for them, if you remember, if we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, the process of Passover started many days before in preparation of the Passover, right? We'll just take a piece from Exodus chapter 12. And all of Exodus 12 talks about it, but I chose just to select a piece. It says, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. This is very important that you understand everything that we do during Pascha week. This is it right here. This is what it's all about. Take a lamb, a lamb for his household. That was on the tenth day. Now you shall keep it until... The 14th day. Take something on the 10th day, keep it until the 14th day. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment 
I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All of Holy Week, of Pascha Week, this is it right here is what it's all about. It's all about the people of God finding the lamb and the lamb coming in on the 10th. And then four days later, the lamb is slain. Okay, just as Jesus, Palm Sunday, entered. Okay, that was the 10th day. And then on, on the 14th day was when he was slain. We'll talk about that. Like, don't worry about that right now. The lamb came, and then the lamb stayed, and then the lamb was slain. But the lamb wasn't just slain. It wasn't just given an injection and died a painless death. The lamb was killed and then eaten, roasted in fire. That was the lamb of God. He wasn't just beheaded on the spot. He was roasted in fire with bitter herbs. And that bitter herbs, that's the suffering that he endured. Everything that, what, that God told the Israelites to do, he himself fulfilled. And then what God does is he strikes down the enemy, and the enemy is the one who's keeping us in slavery. And then he frees us to begin a new life. That's what Pascha Week is all about. That's what it's all about. It's all about freedom. It's all about new life. But we have to go through the proper steps to get there. That's why St. Paul says this in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of the Passover. The power of the Pascha. But how do I know it? Through the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want this power of the resurrection. Okay, but you must be conformed to his death. And you don't just show up on the 14th of the month and have yourself some, some lamb salad. You're going to eat lamb on the 14th. You start on the 10th. You prepare it. You're bitter. Your herbs. You're roasted. You take the blood. You sign the blood. And then God does a great miracle. What we are going to do during the Holy Week is we are going to, just like the cute little video at the beginning, as we are going to follow the steps of Christ. We are going to be conformed to his death. We're going to join in the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. And when he walks in on Palm Sunday, we're not going to be sleeping at home. We're going to be standing right there. He's going to walk in, and the people are going to say Hosanna. We're going to say Hosanna louder than they're going to say Hosanna. And then he's going to walk in the temple. We're going to follow him in the temple. The people are going to accuse him and revile him. We're going to stand right by him the whole time. We're going to walk step by step, and we are going to worship him. Our voices will worship with our singing of hymns. Our eyes will worship with our readings that we're going to read 10,000 things. Our bodies will worship through the rituals and the fastings. Every single part of us is going to be conformed to his death during this week so that we can experience the power of his resurrection the following week after. Everything relates to Passover, not to suffering. Let's go through some basic outline. Okay, Get, Let me go through some logistics right here. Every day of Pascha, there is at least two services a day, okay? Starting from Sunday, at least two services a day. And there's some services that even cross over the midnight hour, so it's kind of a little bit of here and a little bit of there. And every day is divided into two days, morning and evening. So you'll have Sunday. So let's say, for example, next week, a week from today, we'll be standing during the day of Sunday. And then we'll come in the evening, and it will be the evening of Sunday, it will be the eve of Monday. It will be Monday Eve. Okay, like Christmas Eve, Monday Eve. And then we'll come on Monday, and it will be Monday morning. We'll come Monday night, and it will be eve of Tuesday. And vice versa, and continue, and so on and so forth. And every day has five parts to the day. Okay, so there's two parts, two services, the morning service and the evening service. And every one of those has five 
hours. First hour, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, eleventh hour, corresponding to, this is how the Jewish day was. Okay, the Jewish day would begin in the evening, not in the morning. Okay, the Jewish day wasn't midnight to midnight. It was like 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. All right, and just as a, as a curious, just a tribute. Does anyone know why the day begins at night, not during the day? Does anyone know why? Anyone know why? Trivia for you. Why does the day begin at night? Go back to the first chapter in the Bible. When God created it, okay, created night and day was the first day. And then it says he created this, 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 and this on the second day. So night and day were the second day. Night and day, not day and night. Okay, that's the way it was. It was night and then day. And of course, I can give you spiritual reasons why, meditation, but that's where it comes from. So that's the way the Jewish calendar always was, and we maintain that same thing, is that Monday began on Sunday night, all right? So we would come, and we would do these prayers, okay, and then the following in the morning. Now, each one of these hours has a structure as well. And each of the hours has seven components to it, all right? And just run through them real quick. Every hour will have a reading, at least one prophecy from the Old Testament. And the prophecy is always relating to something about the Messiah, something about his coming. Or there'll be a lot of, um, like, books of Proverbs, okay, or wisdom books, okay, that talk about, you know, things relating to the Messiah. Many times, but not always, there'll be a homily, like one of the church fathers will write, like, a, a homily that'll be read. Then we'll say the doxology of Pascha, okay, the famous, thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, the majesty. And we'll repeat it. 12 times every hour. So 12 times every hour we say it, and we say it five hours in the morning, and then five hours at night. So you say it how many times? A lot, okay, a lot. I mean, I don't have the, the mathematics on me, but it's a lot, okay? And by the end, this will be something that you'll be like in the car as you're driving down the street, be done, is the, you know what I mean? Like, it's the kind of thing that gets in there, and it's something nice. After that will be everyone's favorite part of Holy Week, which is the psalm. Psalm is, you know, like, you know, one verse. Takes about uh, 10, 12 minutes, okay? And some people say, let's just skip the psalm. The psalm, like, what's the difference between me just saying, like, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, okay? Versus me, like, singing it in a nice tune. Oh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. To me, there's a big difference. And you may not know the psalm, but there's a spirituality in the hymnology that you just can't replace. I promise you. Don't, that's what I'm trying to say is change your attitude and don't say, uh, it's long. Say, there's something valuable here that at least Father Anthony said there's something valuable. So at least because I think he's a halfway decent guy, let me give it a try and let me see. Maybe there's some value. Just don't put in your mind, because I don't know it, because I don't like it, it's bad. Don't, don't do that. Say like, maybe there's some value to it. And I promise you, you come with that attitude and you, the other thing about it is it's a sitting down time, so it's not so bad, okay? It's not like we're standing up during it, okay? My goal is always to decrease the amount of time we stand and increase the amount of time we sit, okay? So that's one of the reasons why I don't like to cut stuff like this out. But after that, we'll read a gospel. The gospel, we will stand, so we like to pray with a little bit of a quicker tune, okay? Because it's standing. And then after that, there's an exposition, which is just like an explanation of that hour. But usually what we do is the exposition and the litanies, we pray those all at the very end. So we don't do them hour by hour. We'll go through the first five, of the first hour, and then the third hour, the first five, and then six, and the ninth, and the eleventh, and then do all the expositions, all the litanies at the very, very end, okay? If anyone doesn't, like, have a book 
Okay, I sent out an email, and if you're not on an email list, come stop by the connection table, and you can uh, get, get that, your information there, with a, um, a PDF, all right, a PDF of all the prayers that you can download for free. There's no charge. Get it on your iPad for free, and that way you can be set to go. We ordered books. Um, by now, you know, it's too late to order new ones, get them in in time, but you can stop by the connection table. I, for example, I have a couple extra books. So if anyone really needs one, doesn't have one, and doesn't want to do the iPad thing, stop by there and let them know, and we'll try to get you a copy. Okay? Now what I want to do is I want to go through the days and see what's going on, and it's all in relation to the Paschal Lamb, which was slain for the salvation of the world. That's the theme of Holy Week. It's not Palm Sunday this and Monday. It's, no, it's, it's all about Pascha, about Passover. And the lamb that came on the 10th and that was slain on the 14th. Okay, that's what it's all about. So the first day is Palm Sunday, which is the day that God declares the sacrifice. The Paschal lamb enters and God declares the sacrifice. This is where Jesus rides into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The week starts off in a glorious way. Everyone praising and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But the problem is, is that the chance of Hosanna quickly turned to crucify him, as we saw in the video. Here's a question that I ask you. If Jesus, if I'm Jesus, you're Jesus, you know you're going to walk in this room, everyone's going to praise you, and you know five days later they're all going to say crucify. Would you still come? Would you? Like, why walk in here and everyone praise me? Then I, as soon as I walk out, they're going to be talking trash about me. You know what? Just skip it all together. Just skip the praise altogether. Like, just stay at home and just die at home. Like, why go through all this? You know why? One of the readings that we'll read next Sunday is from Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 44. Okay, it's the story of Palm Sunday. And it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known. This is on Palm Sunday when everyone cheering. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment, or embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you, and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is after everyone was screaming, Hosanna, and Jesus knows they're going to soon say, crucify me. They hadn't said it yet. So they were still praising him, but he got sad because he knew what was going to happen. Why would Jesus still come if he knew the people's praises were going to turn to crucify him? Why? Here's the thing about Palm Sunday. Jesus didn't come to get praises. Jesus came to get hearts. He wasn't coming to get praises. If he was coming to receive praises and be felt like, I'm a big man, then this was a waste of his time. He was coming to lay claim to souls. When you show up next Sunday, please don't be fooled, like I was saying during the sermon, during the liturgy today, don't be fooled into thinking that you're coming to praise God and that you did a great thing because you got your little palm in your hand, you got the little palm cross and palm hat and palm gloves and palm shoes, and you go all decked out in palms. And you did a great thing by spending four or five hours in church. If I'm Jesus, and I see these people saying, Hosanna, and I know they're going to walk out and say, crucify me, stay at home. Stay at home. Save a parking spot. 
because you do me no good just to come to praise me. I'm coming to receive souls. I'm not coming to receive praises. If I want, this is what Jesus says next week, if I want praises, I can go to the stones. I can say one word, and all those stones will praise me. I'm not coming for praises. I'm coming for hearts. I'm coming for, for souls. And unless that's what you're coming to offer, you're better off staying at home. What Palm Sunday is to me is Jesus riding on a donkey. Donkey was the way kings would ride in times of peace, non-threatening. You know what Palm Sunday is? Palm Sunday is something which I didn't do, but let's say I would have. When I found my bride-to-be, okay, and I got myself all dressed up in my nice black robe, okay, and I came and I knocked on the door of her father's house. I didn't, but let's say I did, okay? And I said, sir, I'm coming for your daughter. In a nice way, not in a bad way, okay? Not like I'm taking her off and, you know, like, sir, I'm stating my intentions. I want to marry your daughter. That's Jesus next Sunday. He's coming in and saying, I don't want praises. I don't want songs. I'm coming to marry you. I'm coming to die for you. You with me? We're going to say, yes, we're with you, and yes, we're with you. Then we're going to walk outside and say, shh, better just not to come. Better, just don't answer the door. Better leave him out there, ring, 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 and he'll walk away and go to the neighbor's house. Then, then coming for the, in the wrong way. So in order for the church to remind us and to make solid this commitment that we are accepting the sacrifice, the next thing that happens after Palm Sunday, everyone's favorite thing about Holy Week, and what I discovered, the least understood thing, which I didn't understand for many years, is after Palm Sunday, joy, celebration, we say, what's the best way to celebrate a feast? Let's have ourselves a funeral. Let's go have a funeral. Because we're miserable people, and we just want to celebrate misery. We are going to have what's generally referred to as the general funeral, but I like to refer to it as my funeral, also known as your funeral. Because I don't believe in general things. I don't like general things. What's general? Here's the way most of us grew up. Why do we do a general funeral? The common answer, in case anybody dies during Holy Week, okay, the church says you're not allowed. Like during Holy Week, the church doesn't pray liturgies, doesn't do any sacraments, doesn't do anything, just the Holy Week services. So we say in case you die during Holy Week, you can't have a funeral. Let's do a funeral up front to prepare anybody in case they die, okay? Very upbeat, positive, optimistic thinking. <laughs> Two problems with that thinking. Two problems with that thinking. Number one, there's no problem right now, like sorry to be like very blunt, okay? We're not living in the Middle Ages right now. If someone were to die, there's no problem to preserve their body until the following week, okay? It's not like back in the olden days where you had to, you know what I mean, like do the funeral like right there on the spot. Like now bodies can be preserved, okay? I'm not an expert in the subject, but so I've been told. So that doesn't make any sense. And the second thing is, I've been in church 30-something years. I've only once seen anybody die during Holy Week. So you're telling me we are going to waste all these people's time for all these hundreds of years for once every 50 years some guy to go down? Like that one in a million chance wasting all these people's time? It can't be. There's got to be something more to it. And what I discovered is, is that we're not sitting here wasting an hour or whatever on a, a long, tiring day in case somebody dies. We're doing it because we know for sure somebody is going to die. And that person's you. And that person's me. Why? 
What just happened one minute before the general funeral? You just took communion. And you took communion, who's inside you? Jesus is inside you. We said this week we're going to walk with Jesus. Where he goes, we're going to go. He's here, we're here. He's there, we're there. Everywhere he goes, we're going to follow him. Where's he going? Where's he going to end up? At his funeral. So you're with me? Your funeral too. This is your funeral. Symbolically, no. This is your funeral. This is your funeral where you are going to die and start a new life. And I'm telling you this, and you're going to say he's just being, uh, what's the word, uh, hyperbole or whatever that word is. I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. You're supposed to start a new life after Holy Week. And some of you will start a new life because I promise you, you know and I know that every year some people do start a new life after Holy Week. Every year some people do start a new life after Holy Week. Some people don't. Difference? Back to that first slide I showed you was the attitude, was the value that you put into it. But I promise you, there's nothing that says that every year you shouldn't start a new life after this Holy Week. Because if you're going to walk with him and you're going to die with him, you're going to rise with him. That's why one of the prophecies that we read during this general funeral, does anyone know the prophecy that's read during the Palm Sunday general funeral? It's from Ezekiel chapter 37, and it says this. It's a passage about the bones that come to life. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Who are the bones? Who are the dead bones? That's you and your dead life. That's your relationships which are dead. That's your hope which is dead. That's your soul which is blind. That's your life which is captive to the devil. The dead bones, the dry bones, the lifeless bones. Prophecy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This phrase, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Where did I just read that from a minute ago? Where, where do you hear that phrase over and over and over and over and over in the Old Testament? Exodus, Passover. I'm going to do this plague, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I will free you from Egypt, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I will part the Red Sea, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I will give new life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I will bring dry bones, dead bones to life. You haven't prayed in years. Your prayer life is dead. I will bring it to life. You are captive. You are enslaved. I will bring you life. Because I'm God. And that's what I do for a living. This isn't hocus pocus. This isn't magic. This isn't like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. This is real. Problem is, Many of us go into Holy Week like we're going into a museum. And we just kind of look around, see the dead bones, artifacts, and we just kind of go in, we, take, we just go in and we kind of walk out. We ain't going into a museum. We're going to your funeral, we're going to your tomb, and we're going to bring life. Because you want new life? Has to be death. You want new life with him? Has to be fellowship of his sufferings conformed to his death. One of the other prophecies that's read during this funeral, it's read during all funerals, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where I didn't put it in your handout, is where St. Paul talks about, you don't believe in resurrection? If we don't believe in resurrection, he says we are the most pitiable of all men, the most pathetic, because if we don't believe that there's new life, then we are wasting our time. And if you are going to come to church for an entire week, and you want to take off of work, and you don't believe that God can give you new life, you're pathetic. 
better go out and have a good time at least. Spend your time doing something beneficial. But you're going to come here and you don't believe any change can happen in your life? We're the most pitiable of all men. That ain't going to be us. All right, it took a long time on Sunday. I'll go faster for the rest of it. Oh, there's more to it. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Look at this. They indeed say, this is good stuff, I'm telling you. Our bones are dry. This is the people who don't believe. They say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves. I will come, cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves of my people and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit upon, I'll put my spirit upon you. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed. Okay? That's next Sunday. I think that's it for Sunday. We'll go to Monday. There we go. On to Monday. God declared a sacrifice on Sunday. Monday, God now prepares the table. He prepares the people for the sacrifice. Two main events take place on Sunday. And the two events, I'm sorry, on Monday. And just so you know, all the events that take place happen in the morning or the evening? Morning. Nothing really happens in the evening until we get to Wednesday evening, which is eve of Thursday. That's when the evening activities happen. But during those evening services, I'm not saying to skip them, I'm saying those are just recapping what happened in the morning, because the morning is when Jesus would go out and about and do all the stuff. So Monday morning, Jesus does two things. He walks by this fig tree, and he goes crazy on a fig tree for some reason. He starts cursing at this fig tree. And he just says, cursed are you fig tree. And no one, you know, will ever bring fruit from this fig tree. And he just goes crazy on this fig tree. Then he goes into the temple. And he goes crazy in the temple as well. And he turns stuff over. And he goes crazy. And, and the den of thieves. And my house shall be called a house of prayer. And this is kind of an angry day for God. Why? Why Jesus went crazy why Jesus got upset? In order to give you not a fish, but to teach you how to fish. Anytime you want an explanation. So I told you we read Old Testament readings from the prophecies, then we read the Psalm and the Gospel. Here's my strategy. When you read the readings and to prepare, start with the Gospel and then work backwards. Because the Gospel is the answer or the, the what and then the prophecy from the Old Testament explains it. It's not that the gospel explains the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament explains the New Testament. Okay? Does that make sense? Like when Jesus came in the New Testament, we saw Jesus. The Old Testament tells us a lot more about Jesus than the New Testament does, believe it or not. Because the Old Testament was this long, and it taught us. The New Testament showed us a lot of the outside of God. The Old Testament showed us the emotion of God. So when you have a question about what's going on, read the gospel. And then go back and read the Old Testament, and it will explain what happens. New Testament, the gospel reading, cursing the fig tree, cursing in the temple. All the Old Testament readings during Monday focus on God with his vineyard. Passage. Okay, okay. God's great anger. I put these slides in out of order. It's caused by God's great love. I'm going to come back to that slide. Vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah... Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Who is my vineyard? The people of Israel, children of God, that's like us, okay? What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? See the emotion of God? He's talking about the people of Israel. He's saying, 
What more could I have done? They wanted prophets, I sent them prophets. They ignored the prophets. They wanted a king, I gave them the best king. I gave them David. I gave them Solomon. I gave them my word. I gave them Moses. I gave them promise that I got freed them. Like, what more do they want? Tell me what more do they want? You, and he's saying to you, you're the jury. You tell me, I did everything here for my vineyard. Tell me, what more could I have done? The answer is, nothing, Lord. Now, please, tell me what, tell, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Why is God so angry? What made God so angry? God's great anger was caused by God's great love. God isn't angry because people do sins. God isn't angry because we made a mistake or we didn't get the no cheese on the bean burrito. You know what angers God? What angers God? Okay, finance people. Finance people. Okay, we're all intelligent here with our money. And I, intelligent with my money, hopefully, okay, I don't want to invest in something that isn't going to bring me a return. And I would be very upset if you and I made a deal and you were supposed to bring back this return and you ripped up the money and threw it away. You'd be upset at me if I did that too, wouldn't you? Especially if you did that and I said, okay, you know what? I'll invest again and I'll invest again and I'll invest again. Because of my love, I invest, I invest, I invest and no return, now I'm upset. Why was God angry with Israel? Because he loved them so much and he gave so much to them. And he asked for righteousness and they gave oppression. He asked for justice, they gave hypocrisy. He asked for accepting him and they rejected him. Wouldn't you be angry? During this Monday in the morning, we read a very long prophecy broken up into two hours from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 about how God created the whole world and he planted the beautiful garden and he made it all for man. He says, I have given everything to you. I have given everything to you. Be fruitful. Multiply. Hang out. Relax, enjoy, kick back. Like, man, I created all this for you. It's to remind us of all that God has given to us. What did we do with God's investment inside of us? First, God declared the sacrifice, Paschal Lamb. And then God said, okay, now we've got to prepare the table. Prepare the table, okay, was I need a return on my investment. And then on Tuesday... Now God invites us to partake of his sacrifice. Tuesday of Pascha week is the day that Jesus spends the whole day in the temple. And he's there in the temple, and this is the last time he enters the temple, and all he's doing is telling parables. Parables about what? About the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like... Wise virgins and foolish virgins. Kingdom of heaven is like a man who had a great feast and invited everybody. 
Kingdom of heaven is like a man who separated the sheep from the, the sheep from the goats. Kingdom of heaven is like, kingdom of heaven is like, kingdom of heaven is like. What is he saying? Saying the kingdom of heaven is here, and I'm inviting you now to it. I'm the Paschal Lamb. I'm coming to offer myself, and I'm inviting you to come. That's the front side of the coin. The back side of the coin is that if you don't come, what will come to you? The sheep over here, the goats over here, the wise virgins here, but the foolish virgins here. He's not saying it to scare us. He's saying it to prepare us. Like, uh, if I'm a teacher, and y'all are students, here we are in this classroom, and I say, guys, exam, final exam on Monday, 100% of your grade is based on this exam. 100%, and if you don't pass it, you will repeat third grade, okay, or whatever grade you're in. And you go home and say, my teacher's so mean. She keeps saying about this exam, and she's so judgmental, and she's always telling me, teacher's not judgmental. The teacher loves you and is telling you there's an exam, and I'm trying to get you to be prepared. I'm trying to scare I don't want you to fail. That's why I keep telling you. If I wanted you to fail, I'd say, no, everything's fine. No, 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 no. Eat, drink, and be merry. If I didn't care, I'd say, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we live, and we enjoy. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. But because I care, I say, hey, guys, wake up. The end is coming. Judgment day is coming. You're going to stand before God. You're going to answer. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not saying you have to pay this much money. and do. I'm not saying it like that. But I'm saying I'm offering a sacrifice. You accept or don't accept. Just like when God told the Israelites, the, the Passover day is coming, and unless you have this blood on your doorpost, why is he being mean? He's not being mean. He's saying the angel of death is coming. If you don't have this blood, you are in trouble. That's what God is telling us the same thing. Jesus is saying the same thing. That's why during this day, we read the prophecy of Noah and the flood. And that's a very long prophecy. Why? That's exactly what's going to happen. Noah's flood is a, is a symbol or a type of the end of the world. That God is going to come, and he's going to invite his elect. Actually, he's going to invite everybody from the four corners of the earth to enter into the ark. The ark, the family of God. But what happened when Noah told everyone, come into the ark? What did they do? They laughed. Why? Noah, chill out, man. Why are you all uptight? We're talking that judgment stuff. Chill out. Noah's like, I'm not saying it for my sake. I'm saying it for your sake. I'm not saying that I, I, we're, we're bored in the ark and we need to, to hang out. I'm saying, unless you're inside this here, unless you have this blood on the doorpost, you're going to be killed. Unfortunately, more people rejected than accepted. And actually, Jesus says the same thing at the end is going to happen too. Matthew 7, verse 14, narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. Can I say this very bluntly? If you take comfort in the fact that, hey, I'm okay because I'm with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, like we're all okay. Can I say it bluntly? Don't put your trust in so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. At the time of Noah's ark, there was a lot more people outside the ark than there was inside the ark. And Jesus said, at that judgment day, there's going to be a lot of people who walk in the wrong path. And unfortunately for us, we're going to say, like, hey, like, there's safety in numbers. It's kind of like the speeding thing. Well, they can't catch me because they're all speeding. No, I mean, you can catch you all. He's very good. And I don't want to say even catch you all because it makes God sound bad. 
It's saying that here there's life. In the blood there's life. If you don't have the blood, there's no life. It's not saying he's mean. It's saying anybody come, the blood. You need the blood. And if you have the blood, you have life. But don't stand out there and say, well, all of us can't happen to all of us. Well, Noah's flood says that it can't happen to all of us. Hard to accept. The truth of the matter is, each one of us will stand before God, and there are only two options. Accept or reject. Look here now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're bad. You didn't read your Bible this morning. I'm not saying it like that. I'm not getting to the sin level. It's not about sin. It's about an invitation. It's about a sacrifice which was offered and the boy coming and knocking on the door and saying, I know you're imperfect. I know you have blemishes, but I invite you to be my spouse. And you either accept or reject. And the Pharisees were very good people who rejected. And the sinful people were bad people, but they accepted. It's not about, like, the, did I do good things or did I not do good things? It's not about that. It's about did I accept or did I reject? During this hour, we read one of the Proverbs from Proverbs chapter 9. It says, come, eat of my bread. Invitation. Eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. See how the prophecies relating to the sacrifice? Saying the Paschal Lamb is here, forsake foolishness. Come and eat, come and drink. Not because I want to judge you, because I want to save you. Another thing that we, we pray during this, this morning of Tuesday morning is the famous hymn, which in Coptic is called Pekathronos, which literally means your throne. And it's this psalm, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Psalm 44, verse 6. Okay, that's it. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is roughly a 20-minute hymn, roughly, give or take five or 10 minutes, okay? No, no it's, it's, it's 20, it's between 18 and 20 minutes. No, there's no give or take, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How can eight words take 20 minutes? This is the epitome of, for years, I saw zero value in this. Actually, I saw negative value. This made me angry. This not only did not offer me benefit, this made me upset. Like, I'm fine before, these guys go up there and they just start opening their mouth, they're on like one syllable forever, and I'm angry. Until I saw the value of it, and between me and you, this is my favorite part of the week. We say it on Tuesday morning, we say it on Friday, the last thing on Good Friday, and this is where I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what, if people gotta go, let them go. Like, no one is obliged, it's not like a liturgy where there's communion at the end, you have to stay to the end. No, 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 no one has to stay to the end. If you need to go, go, but leave me, because this is the best. And anyone who knows this, sings this, this is the best. Why is 20 minutes long? You know why it's 20 minutes long? Here's my theory on why it's 20 minutes long. I think the guy who wrote it didn't mean to make it 20 minutes. I think he just got tired after 20 minutes. Because <laughs> I think this is the goal for much longer than 20 minutes. I think this is the goal of life. And I think in eternity, course, we'll be able to take a breath in between, okay? But this will be our song for all of eternity. We'll say this. We'll say, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I don't think it's going to stop even after 20 minutes. In a nice way, not, in a, not in like you're going to have to listen to someone else say it for 20 minutes. But my point is, this is what eternity is all about, is standing in front of the throne of God. Wednesday, and this is the last day I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk about Thursday and Friday much. 
declared the sacrifice, prepared the people, offered the invitation. Now, Wednesday, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I think Wednesday is pretty much the end of Holy Week. I think if you didn't get it by Wednesday, you're done. Wednesday is the day of response. By Wednesday, Wednesday we have two major events, and they are sharp contrast from one another. We have the lady who comes to Jesus when he's at the house of Simon and who breaks the alabaster flask and anoints his feet with it, okay, anoints his head with it and washes his feet with her hair. And then we have Judas and his betrayal. And the story of both of them is in the same gospel reading from Matthew 26. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. Very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head and he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For, what she, for she has done a good work for me, and you have the poor with you always. But me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's verse Matthew 26, that's verse 13. Jesus sees this lady, does the best thing ever. Verse 13. Verse 14. Then, right on the heels of that, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray, betray him. What a sharp contrast. Makes me sick to my stomach. In the very moment that this lady, this sinful woman who knew nothing, came to Jesus and said, Here's the most costly thing I have, yours. Judas, who had been given everything, walks out and says, What can I get for him? Do you see the contrast? What can I give for him? Versus what can I get for him? This is not this is too expensive? No, take it. Take it. It's not, it's not expensive for him. It's nothing. Judas said, can I have that? I'll, I'll sell him if you give me that. The lady happened first and then Judas. But like I said, I like to end with a smile. Let's talk about Mr. Judas. The two worst days in the history of all humanity, the two days that the church taught us from the very beginning that we should always fast are Wednesday and Friday. Didache is the writings of the early church. Okay, the first century, the first earliest writing before the Bible was written, it's called the writings of the 12 apostles, the teachings of the 12 apostles. And in it they wrote this. For those who wonder where Wednesday and Friday fast comes from, let not your fasting be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and on the fifth day. The Pharisees, the Jews, used to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. So the apostles said, don't fast with those hypocrites. You still fast, not stop fasting, fast, but on different days. You keep your fast on the fourth day, on the preparation day. What's the fourth day? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay, Sunday's the first day of the week. And the preparation day, preparation for the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday, so preparation is Friday. Church said fast on two days, Friday and Wednesday. Friday, the day that man killed their creator. Horrible day. Good Friday. Wednesday's worse. The day that what? Not man killed creator. Man betrayed Savior. Friday was physical. Wednesday was emotional. 
Slap me on my face better than stab me in my back. Wednesday's the day that Jesus was stabbed in the back. This psalm right here, Psalm 41, we read this on, on Wednesday. It says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. The expression lifted his heel against me was like, a, like an expression that they used to say, which it's exa exactly me saying stab me in the back. And, the, and the, the image that it is, like stab me in the back, is like that. My friend whom I trusted, who shared my bread, someone close, has lifted his heel against me. It's the image of two people walking down the street and then this one pushing the other one. And how would I lift my heel against him? means I kicked him right in the face. Or, yeah, like I kicked him in the back of the head or something like that when he wasn't looking. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples, the trusted. He was the one that Jesus always had at his right side. That's why at the Last Supper, he said, the one whom I dip means the one who I honor. Like, Judas got everything. He saw all the miracles. Judas was there when the five loaves and the two fish. He was there when the walking on the water. He was there with Lazarus. He was there. He was there. He was there. He's the epitome of the vineyard who had everything invested into him. He came back with nothing and said, what can I get for him? The lady's the opposite. The lady's the most beautiful lady in the entire Bible. Because the lady who was someone who had nothing. But she said, whatever I got is him. That's why Jesus said about her, she has done a good work for me. Logical people. I'm logical. I read this story. This story kind of scares me because when this lady did this, the disciples said, why this waste? Give it to the poor. And I'll be honest, I just said the exact same thing. I'm a practical person. Like, who cares? I'm not like, why debt? Just give it to the poor. I always struggled with this. And I would ask, what is the benefit of such an act? Is there any benefit? Is there? There isn't, but there is. There isn't any benefit that we can see, but the benefit was that Jesus liked it. And here's what I discovered, is that the value of the gift is not determined by the giver, but by the recipient. Like I said, me, oil changes. Get it for me, you did a great thing for me. My wife, don't do it. Okay. Flowers, like get me flowers, and I will say, like that's better not to get me flowers. There's a no value to get me flowers, because I don't care about flowers. You're doing nothing for me when you get me flowers. But oil changes, cookies, like things like that. Okay, practical things. <laughs> Jesus loved this sacrifice. You know why? Let me ask you another question. Forget about this. What's the difference if I go to all the services of Holy Week or just like most of the services? Is there a difference? Like either way, Good Friday is going to happen. What difference does it make if I show up at 8 or 9 or 10 or 11? Either way, like Jesus is going to die, buried, he's going to rise, right? Like my not being there isn't going to stop the show, is it? What's the difference if I fast, you know, till 11 or 12? Is there a difference? It's not a, what difference does it make in the grand scheme of things? What difference does it make if I stop watching TV entirely or just watch a show or two here? Like, what difference does it make? You know what difference it makes? It makes a difference to him. Because the recipient of the gift is infinite, then the gift, no matter how small it is, is also infinite. And the smallest sacrifice, if you all remember this in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, smallest sacrifice that you can give anybody is a cup of water. 
get it free anywhere you go. But Jesus said, a cup of cold water in my name will not go unrewarded. Spending all week in church is a waste of time. Fasting longer is a waste of time. There's no benefit to it. But I say that anything offered to the king is eternally beneficial. God declares it. God prepares it. God invites us. We respond. Thursday and Friday, believe it or not, even though those are the two longest days, like obviously when we get to Thursday and Friday, we'll talk about it in more detail. But we all know what happens on Thursday. Nothing happens on Thursday and Friday, to be honest. By then, it's over. By then, the ball has started rolling down the hill. And by then, it's a freight train. And I, honestly, like, even once we get to Thursday, there's no time to think. Because you go show, show, show up church in the morning, you finish, you go home, you have a snack, you come right back, you go to sleep, you come right back. Like, there's no time to think. After that, it's done. Wednesday, you prepare, you respond. After that, God offers. And the sacrifice is going to be offered. The, the lamb will be slain. But that's not the issue. The issue is where do you fit into it? I'm going to show you back to these two people. How are you going to respond to the sacrifice that is offered for you? I jotted down. You may want to jot these down if you want. These are just my suggestions, okay? Just my tips of how you respond. And the important thing is how you respond, not what you respond. But just in case someone's saying, like, practically, tell me practically what you want me to do. I, I gave you four things. Number one, I would say attending the services. Grabbing that Holy Week schedule, pinning that bad boy up on your fridge, going to your boss and saying, I need off on this day and this day, and I'm going to be inconvenienced on this time and this time. And they may say, well, you have to take time without pay. And you know what? Then you're going to ask yourself, am I here or am I here? Am I saying, uh, what can I get for Jesus, or what can I offer to Jesus? I'm not judging you. I, I understand people have. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just throwing you something. The services, number one. And when I say the services, coming as early as you can and with the right attitude, Knowing what's happening, reading the read if you can read the readings in advance, fantastic. If you can prepare yourself by getting in the right spirit in advance, fantastic. Something else, I encourage you, don't just show up. Pray before the service, pray after the service. Pray before. Even if you, that's why, for me, I like to get there a little bit early so I can spend time, get myself in the right mood, and then start. And afterward, if you can spend time in prayer when you get home, boom. Like, getting the most out of the services. Number two, fasting. Okay? Push yourself as far as the fasting. I know we all try to cut corners here and there, and that's, that's natural, but this is, holy, this is the finish line. Okay, push yourself. What, to what? I don't care what. It's not the what that matters. It's the how, but I'm just giving you some way that you can express your how. Okay, push yourself longer. If you fasted till 11, try to go to 11.30. Try to go till 12. Try to like, push yourself longer. Try to make, minimize as much as you can the worldly stuff around you. Why? Because that's actually number three. Number three is minimize distractions. Minimize distractions. Stay in the spirit. Stay. Oftentimes, we get in the spirit, and then we come back down in the world. Then we got to fight to get back up there. Well, imagine if I get in the spirit, and then instead of coming all the way down and then working to get all the way back up, imagine if I just came down like this. Okay? Then I can go even higher. And then I come down like this. And then I can go even higher. So try to stay away from this ground level. Stay away from TV as much as you can. Stay away from the newspaper as much as you can, or internet. Okay? Your Facebook, your Twitter, all that stuff, stay away from it as much as you can. I'm not being legalistic. Again, I'm not saying don't do any of that. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying minimize distractions. Stay in the spirit. If you do Facebook, you do Twitter, keep it all in the spirit. That's what I'm saying. It's not that. I'm saying keep it in the spirit. 
You want to watch a movie, okay, about the life of Jesus? Like, keep it in the spirit. Minimize distractions. Stay up there. And then the last thing I wrote is remind yourself of the value. Remind yourself of the value. The lamb walks on the stage, and he's coming and saying, I'm being slain for the life of the world. And whoever has this blood will receive new life, new salvation. You don't believe me? Go talk to them bones in Ezekiel chapter 37 and see what happens. Holy Week, Pascha Week, is infinitely valuable to those who treat it as such. And it is infinitely boring to those who treat it as such. You choose which of the two you're going to be throughout Holy Week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice which you offer for us. We ask, Lord, that as we prepare for this holy time of Pascha week, that you would help each one of us to be real with ourselves and to examine ourselves and to make sure that none of us are just going through the motions, Lord. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to just say words and praise you with our, our lips, but our hearts are far from you. It's the last thing that we want, Lord. So give us, Lord, to be able to, 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 to make time this week and to invest in this coming week that we might really stand two weeks from now on the Feast of Pesca and sing to the whole wide world about the new life that you have given to us, the resurrection and the victory and the power that you have poured into our lives. Lord, we pray for that from now. We ask you that, that you would that you'd let us to, to really get the most out of this week, that we can live a new life with you when all is said and done. Lord, please bless every single person here. And I pray that you would give new life to each one of them and reveal yourself to them during this coming week and help them, Lord, with their schedules at work or, or the distractions they may deal with so they can focus just on you. Pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, the Lamb of God who was slain for the life of the entire world, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Make sure that you got yourself a Holy Week schedule before you go. Stop by the connection table if you don't got one. And once we hit Friday next weekend, Holy Week schedule takes over until after Easter.